You control the guy or the woman who runs the run, run brings out the carts on, 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 on a forklift. It's time for the Buff Show. One hundred year. Look, here's the lives. It's just. It's. I mean, you think about it. And no idea what you said, Joe, but we understand the Buff Show. Deeply held by. Uh, by President, stop moving that, 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 that uh, you know, what's this thing called? That's a teleprompter, Joe. We'll take it from here. Let's go end it. Joe Brandon, I agree. And here's your host, Matt Buff. Welcome to the Map Off Show. Great to have you with us. Hope you enjoyed the 12 Days of Hunter on the last show. Not the big singer, I told you, but um, we everybody else is trying to break down the Hunter Biden laptop and all this and the uh, Twitter election interference. We just put it to song to the 12 Days of Christmas. Have to be different on the Map Buff Show. So if you missed that, go to thebuffshow.com, click on the Rumble link. You can see the past shows on there <laughs> if you dare if you dare check out the buffshow.com sign up for that newsletter check out the past interview shows and more and also check us out on mypillow.com buff and get your free gift and up to 66 percent off savings there great christmas presents and support mike lindell another great christmas present is in the form of a cigar from mypatriotcigars.com Promo code BUFF, 15% off your order and a, and a special discount on every order after that with cigars that are aged three years to perfection. So a nice uh, gift for New Year, too, right there. Think about that, MyPatriotCigars.com. Promo code BUFF. Big show for you today. New country music star Kate Boytek is going to be on the show debuting her song Hell or High Water on our brand new Matt Buff Show gift of music Christmas special that we're going to be doing every day up until Christmas, every week, I should say, up until Christmas. That's going to be exciting, along with the Buff Show Christmas book tour that you can check all the amazing authors that come on the show just in time for great stocking stuffers and Christmas presents. So there you go. All kinds of happenings going on. And then, of course, you might have heard the conservative affirmation book by Wilmore Kendall. Now, he died in 1967, but a lot of people say he's the father of conservatism. This whole book is forwarded by Daniel McCarthy, who joins us on the show to talk about conservatives today, where we are, and what happened in the 60s that was almost prophetic. So don't miss that on the show today, too. But we're going to go behind the scenes of Christmas and talk about the meaning of Christmas, the true Christmas story, and things you may not have heard with executive producer of The Buff Show. And check out his podcast, The Gathering. Ron Perry is on with us. Ron, great to have you. Hey, it's great to be here, Matt. And I'll tell you, I love the Christmas season. Uh, there's just something very, very special about it. It uh, goes beyond any other time of the year. It lifts it really a lot of burdens. It really is still magical, isn't it? It, it really is. It really is. I tell you what, when I when when I see the kids exciting, you know, I thought when I was a kid, I don't ever want to grow up. I'm not going to see Christmas the same. And now I have it with my kids, and it's almost more wonderful with the kids than when I was a kid. Yeah, no question. <laughs> the joy of watching children open presents and getting so excited is much more exciting and more fun than opening it uh, yourself. At least certainly I find that as an adult 
giving these things and giving joy. What a blessing. And now you have the grandkids. So you, you get the grandkids opening stuff too. And you see all the little excitement yeah. again. Yeah, no question. It's fantastic. It's good. Tell everybody about the gathering real quick before we jump into Chris. Uh, sure. Christmas. Yeah, boy, the gathering was started probably 30 plus years ago by Larry Kreider and a few other folks. And it spawned um, uh, locations all over the country, Bible studies, outreaches, uh, things to encourage people. Uh, initial focus primarily on men and then subsequently women. Uh, spawned another group called LifeWork Leadership, which has trained thousands of men and women on how to have a ministry within the business environment. And I appreciated that because, I mean, I, much of my adult uh, career was spent uh, in business in a technology company. That's right. No, that's great. And now you can catch those podcasts, and we're going to put the links to those out there, too. Is there a place they can go right now to catch the podcasts? Yeah, thegathering.org. And what we've been focused on now really are um, biblical messages where faith and culture intersect. Because what's happened in the last, well, the last generation primarily, things that are in the public eye, things that would in the past have been thought of as purely moral, are now political questions. And you have an awful lot of churches that back off from that because they think, oh, this is political. We're not supposed to get into politics. But in fact, things like abortion uh, and, uh, you know, so many others, uh, these are moral questions. We're going to talk a little bit about that today when it comes to abortion. But every time a lot of people might relate to this, before you can open presents, you got to read chapter one in Luke. <laughs> or uh, before we and they burn through it right as kids you got to read the the one of the gospels about the savior's birth before you open presents amen and, uh, <laughs> yeah and the and... Kids are fervently reading through that but i want to take that apart a little bit and you know chapter one in luke's very interesting because right at the beginning um in verse five in the time of herod king of judah there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth could not conceive and they were both very old. And it goes on, Ron, to talk about Zechariah's story. A lot of people don't understand the ties between the Old Testament and the New Testament leading up to the birth of Christ. Yeah, no question. And the two are linked. They are divided because you had um, some people, um, you know, some Jews, not all Jews, but some Jews who did not uh, accept Jesus as the promised Messiah, uh, as the Savior uh, of the world. And um, they accept up through the book of Malachi, which is the last book in what we would refer to as the Old Testament, and then you had the ongoing revelation that is generally viewed uh, by Christians as, um, you know, from Matthew through Revelations. And uh, what is most interesting is in the four Gospels, and Gospel just means good news, it's an old English word that means good news, where you have the life of Jesus, uh, you know, and so they're really historical books. And those four Gospels they pretty much start off exactly where the Old Testament ends. 
So the end of uh, the Old Testament, the last few verses of Malachi are, are this, are these. See, and this is God speaking, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So it's a promise of what's going to happen next, and it's conditional with um, the, this whole matter of turning the hearts of people. Now, turning the heart is actually what would we might refer to as repentance. Uh, the word means change of mind, a new mind, or reversing mind. The, in fact, actually, they used it as a word in the military to mean an about face. You're going in one direction, now you're going to go in the opposite direction. Okay, so then what you pick up in Luke chapter 1 comes immediately after that. Um, Malachi is in 420 B.C. Um, Luke, uh, we're looking at these events happening probably in um, uh, 4 B.C. Okay, so you've got well over four centuries, and there have been no prophets. There have been no communications from God. In essence, the, what was the Bible was written. That was the end of it, and it was just waiting, and there was silence. Well, into this silence, you have this couple, um, an elderly couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest in the temple. He and Elizabeth are both descendants of Aaron. Okay, Aaron was the first priest. Aaron was Moses' brother, and God made him Moses' spokesperson. Um, and he was the first high priest. And all priests were to be of the line of Aaron, descended from Aaron. Well, by the time you get to the time of Zechariah, there are somewhere between twenty and 30,000 descendants of Aaron who are serving in the priesthood. Uh, and uh, so a priest might only serve once in his lifetime in the temple. And what did a priest do? Priest, by definition, offered a sacrifice. Uh, and so the priests offered a sacrifice in the temple, and they did it in teams, typically, because they're sacrificing fairly good-sized animals, sometimes bulls. So, you know, it was a, it was a, a big thing. And um, in the case of Zechariah, um, it says that uh, he was chosen by lot. And so they would choose first from which division, the division of Abijah. Um, and they would work down until they get to, got to the particular person. And the day that he was going into the temple uh, to do his priestly duties, um, he wound up getting the lot to have the prayer and the offer of incense. Incense in the Bible symbolizes prayer. Um, some of those who are in high churches have seen the censers that go back and forth, you know, with uh, the priest waves back and forth and, and the incense that comes out. What well, was that smell of incense that would have filled the temple? Uh, and um, he would have been left by the other priests all by himself in the, in the holy place in the temple. The temple was divided into two parts. The holy place and the most holy place. Um, the two were separated by a very thick curtain. The altar that he was offering this um, a sacrifice on, and in this case, um, his role was offering prayer by that altar, um, was in the holy place. So 
Then there's this huge um, curtain, very thick. And on the other side, Indiana Jones fans will know was the Ark of the Covenant. And above the Ark of the Covenant, um, there was um, a, a, uh, a sculpture, basically, of two angels touching their wings. Um, the cover uh, to the Ark of the Covenant was called the Mercy Seat. And once a year, the high priest on Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, uh, would go behind the curtain with a bowl of blood and offer that over the mercy seat, over the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Um, between the angels, um, God manifested himself in this incredibly bright light that was referred to as the Shekinah glory. Shekinah means that dwells with us in Aramaic or in Hebrew, actually, uh, the Shekinah glory. Um, and it wasn't that's all of God there was. God is everywhere, but rather he chose to appear uh, just in this incredibly bright light. Uh, and so uh, Zechariah is there outside of this curtain, um, probably um, a little frightened. Uh, it's a whole, it's a new experience to him. Um, probably the only time in his life he ever did it. He's got his face bowed to the floor and he is praying and he is praying, uh, as the priests were, were told to pray for the salvation of Israel and the coming of the Messiah. And so on that day, as he is praying and he is there with his head down, an angel of the Lord appears to him. You know, he's got his head down, but he would have seen the, the, the light in, in the holy place, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was shocked. And it says he was gripped with fear. But then the angel said to him, what angels always say to those that are viewed as righteous, do not be afraid. But I mean, angels are important. They're not little cherubs. Okay, little babies. This is a very impressive, frightening being, but a being of light. It says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are going to call him John, who will be John the Baptist. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. And then it continues on to say that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Remember, that's what Malachi was saying would happen. And he will go on before the Lord. And then it says this, in the spirit and power of Elijah. So this is just a continuance of Malachi. Uh, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then Zechariah, having been so shocked and so startled, he hears this, and um, the first thing the angel said was, your prayer has been heard. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Well, what was the big prayer? Well, his wife was barren. They had always wanted a child. But you know what? He was well past childbearing age. His wife was well past childbearing age, rather. And um, they had long since stopped praying about that, okay? Um and so uh, when the angel says, you're going to have a son, that blew him away. And so he asked um, the angel, how can I be sure of this? Katagonosko in the Greek, which is really kind of, uh, 
kind of a, a phrase of doubt. How can I, I you know, what, what, what kind of proof are you going to give me? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. That's what he says. And the angel says, um, he doesn't use quite these words, but he says, look, do you have any idea who I am? I'm Gabriel. Okay, that's directly from the scripture. I'm Gabriel, which means God is great. Um, I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. You're going to question me? Okay, well, now you will be silent. This is from the scriptures. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So the people are outside waiting for uh, Zechariah, and a lot of them were gathered there for the prayer time and themselves praying, wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And then we read this. When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision of the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he went home. And after this, Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, I will share there's more to the story, obviously, because not only does she have this child, but Mary immediately after this has Gabriel appear to her and say basically the same thing as he said uh, to Zechariah, except this time it's a real shock to her. You know, he tells her, you're going to have a child. This child is going to be called Emmanuel. This child is going to be called the son of the most high. Um, Mary, you are blessed. And she doesn't question him and say, how can I know this to be true? Rather, she says, how can this happen? I don't know a man. And so for her, it's really just, I don't know how this works. But she continues on and just says, I'm your maidservant, whatever you want. And then Mary, uh, at the same time, is told about Elizabeth, that her cousin Elizabeth, uh, who lives far to the north, is going to be with child, is going to have a baby, and is six months pregnant. So Mary, immediately after Gabriel leaves, um, cuts out and heads to see Elizabeth. And I'm sure perhaps some of it to compare notes, because this is startling, but uh, a lot of it was just to go up there and to help her. Um, and uh, Mary stays for three months. When Mary arrives in the door, Elizabeth says, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Okay, so think about the implications. That means John the Baptist, at six months of age, was filled with the Holy Spirit because he was to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, and it also means that he was sentient that he could understand what was going on um, and that he was a person at six months. Um, and so uh, at that time, uh, the, um, uh, you know, it indicates something else. Elizabeth says, she says this, it says, um, blessed are you among women, blessed is the child that you will bear. Uh, it says she is filled with the Holy Spirit. She makes it clear that this child in her womb, Elizabeth's womb, had sensed the presence of the child in Mary's womb. Well, the child in Mary's womb was days old. 
Okay, so Jesus was a person from conception. All right, and so now you begin to see that the scriptures speak about the beginning of life. And here's the key item. We are body, yes, physical, yes, but we're also spirit. And some would distinguish between soul and spirit, soul being like the mind. Okay, the body grows beginning at conception. The spirit is always the spirit. It's always your spirit. Always there. It's always there. Okay, and so when is the spirit united with the body? I would suggest to you that what the scriptures teach is at the point of conception. Now, that may be hard to imagine, hard to believe or whatever. Today, the discussion is when does the baby have a heartbeat? When does the baby feel pain and so on? But it's really when is, when is a baby a person? And how do we handle things with, with persons? And so the biblical story of um, the birth of Jesus into this world um, gives some really bright light on that whole subject. Um, Matt, I'll turn things over to you because I, I don't want to uh, go. Well, this is a great start to our weekly lesson that we're going to do leading up to Christmas, the real Christmas story. And that was, if any anybody tells you there's no pro-life message in the Bible, there's another one you might not have known about that you can point to where it talks about Jesus and John the Baptist in the womb and how they were sentient beings. Pretty amazing stuff. The real story of Christmas with Ron Perry continues next week. Ron, thank you so much for that message. Oh, you're welcome. Joy for me to be with you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. We're going to pick this up next week, all right? Okay. Just right there, so much to cover in the first. We're very excited about what's coming next week with Ron Perry. So you guys stay with us. We'll be back on the Map Off Show. It's time to convert and sell more with the best tools made for small, medium, and large businesses to grow online. With JJC Marketing Solutions, you can grow with do-it-yourself, easy website and funnel builder, or they will build it for you. More options at your fingertips with JJC Marketing Solutions. Not only do you get the best state-of-the-art website, but also comprehensive sales funnels, CRM tools, and powerful search engine optimization. No matter where you are, they can help you grow your business with affordable online marketing solutions. Get weekly reports, dashboard access, and full transparency to see how your keywords are growing. Start building your online presence today. JJCMarketingSolutions.com. That's JJCMarketingSolutions.com. Hey, you may have heard radio show hosts talking trash on solar. Yes, even conservative talk show hosts. There was a silly comparison to trucks running 10,000 miles, carbon emissions, and panel production. It came off as like a liberal argument against a liberal problem shallow knowledge as opposed to experts in the field. Politics, global warming, and other environmental concerns aside, the number one reason to buy solar is simple math. Have you looked at your power bill? It has risen in the last five years. How much more will it go up in the next five years? 
It's a rigged game and all solar energy empowers you to stop playing a rigged game. A solar electric system freezes your costs and shields you from upcoming rate increases. If you choose to finance a solar electric system, the payment on a system that zeroes out your bill is typically less than your current power bill. This is simple math. Call All Solar Energy in Longwood tomorrow at 866-412-4218 or online at www.allsolarenergy.com. More information on this later in the show. Welcome back to the Map Buff Show. Great to have you with us. We are rolling along today talking about conservatives. Have they been conformed? Have they transformed into liberals from the 80s? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It just seems like the pacifism of conservatives has gone a step too far in the age of free speech issues and all the left-wing socialism that's out there. We have a lot of questions here, and there's a great book. I got it right here. I want everybody to check it out. The Conservative Affirmation by Wilmore Kendall, and this forward by Daniel McCarthy. And I want to bring on Daniel right now to the Matt Buff Show, the editor-in-chief of Modern Age. Great forward in the book, too. Uh, Daniel, you really put together the works well, so thank you for joining us. Thank you. I really appreciate that. All right. So talk about who Wilmore Kendall was. We know he died some time ago, and yet his legacy lives on in this book. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable. Wilmore Kendall uh, died in 1967. He was one of the founders of the post-war conservative movement. He was an early contributor to National Review magazine. And in fact, he was in, in many respects the kind of the mentor of William F. Buckley Jr. So one of the things that Wilmore Kendall had done, he was a professor at Yale University in the 1950s uh, when William F. Buckley Jr. was there. And uh, so he was a major formative influence on the young Bill Buckley. And as you can imagine, even in the 1950s, conservatives were not at all popular on a campus like Yale University. And in fact, uh, Wilmore Kendall was one of the most outspoken defenders of Senator Joseph McCarthy in his attempts to uncover uh, communist infiltration in our government. So Kendall was someone who became, uh, you know, sort of notorious as uh, a conservative spokesman, both at Yale University and then through National Review, through books like The Conservative Affirmation, which he publishes in 1963. And Kendall is really worth rediscovering today because in many respects, the very questions that conservatives are tackling right now about populism, about, uh, you know, whether or not uh, there are limits to some of the uh, powers that uh, the left has tried to appropriate in the free market. Uh, Wilmore Kendall answers these questions all the way back in the 1960s, and he saw the revolution that already at that point was starting to come to our culture, was starting to come to our government, to our very way of life as a result of the hard left's revolutionary mentality. Well, you talked about McCarthyism, and that's great that he was, I just wish I could see him read in book part two today, by the way, with what we're seeing from the left, but um, it, it was in chapter five. Um, not chap I'm sorry, uh, chapter three with McCarthyism that you talked about. McCarthyism was something that the left railed on, but man, every one of them is McCarthyism now when it comes to social media and big tech. 
That's right. And, you know, I think Kendall was really ahead of the curve in recognizing that when progressives went out and talked about free speech, when they talked about, you know, not having to disclose whether you were or ever had been a member of a communist party, then in fact, there was a large amount of hypocrisy that was going on even at that time. What the left was doing was basically saying, well, if you had these embarrassing connections to the communist party or to subversive organizations, that was okay. But of course, uh, you know, even back in the 60s and the 1950s, Wilmore Kettle recognized that when the left got its opportunity to do the same kinds of things to the right, basically saying, have you ever been, uh, you know, affiliated with, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the Donald Trump uh, supporters and things like that, that in fact, uh, the same sorts of uh, crackdowns on permissible uh, associations would be coming from the left itself. So the left basically wanted to uh, protect uh, everyone to its own left, everyone on the, on the left flank, but they would soon go after anyone who was on the right. And of course, Wilmore Kendall, having been at Yale University, experienced this in person. He was basically shunned by his own department at Yale. And he saw that, uh, you know, the young conservative movement, uh, things like National Review, that they too were going to wind up, uh, you know, coming under fire from the left. And that it would, it would put a lot of conservatives really in an uncomfortable position where they would either have to throw their uh, fellow conservatives overboard and say, well, you know, I'm an OK conservative, I'm clubbable, but these other guys, they're wild and they're extreme and therefore you have to get rid of them. Or conservatives would have to stand pat. And, but if they did that, they would wind up getting attacked by the left, denounced as extremists and basically suffering the kinds of things that we've seen conservatives subjected to in the past uh, few years here. Yes, indeed. What do you think uh, Kendall would view? How would he view the National Review today? Do you think he'd be proud of the National Review? Where do you think it's at today, according to his standards of conservatism? We know Kendall had a big breakup with uh, Bill Buckley and his friends at National Review even before his death. And uh, partly that was down to personal reasons, that uh, Wilmore Kendall had a fairly troubled personal life. He was a fairly heavy alcoholic. And so uh, he had difficulty maintaining some of his friendships. In fact, uh, Bill Buckley's uh, brother, Reed Buckley, uh, once told me that, Bill, uh, that uh, Wilmore Kendall was someone who never lost an argument but could never keep a friend. Uh, that said, I think, I think if Wilmore Kendall were alive today, he would uh, he'd have a certain amount of affection for National Review based on its history. But he would also be saying that National Review should really reconnect with Heartland America and with Red State America. Uh, Wilmore Kendall was born in Oklahoma, so even though he had that Yale background, he always uh, maintained sort of the country dirt in his boots and, you know, in his very uh, way of thinking. And uh, I think he would say to conservatives, you know, uh, in, in New York and elsewhere that, uh, you know, you need to have that connection with uh, red state America, with small town America, that these kinds of places are where you get uh, the Know, sort of real conservative impulse, whereas, you know, the more that you become involved in the mainstream media, the more that you become involved in, uh, you know, sort of the, the discourse that is laid down by progressives, uh, the more that you're likely even just subconsciously to be absorbed by left wing assumptions and the more that you're likely to lose touch with the basic conservative impulse to say no to progressivism and to affirm Americans as they actually live in the heartland. Yeah, I think that's a great, uh, astute point, too, because it seems like they have lost content and uh, just get just being part of the swamp maybe is just a, a big problem for a lot of those over there and who they get their content from. Absolutely. Talk about the open society in the book, because that has a lot to do with today as well. Yeah, again, you see progressives talk about this idea of an open society, one where every truth can be questioned. And they claim, oh, this is what freedom means. It means that, you know, there's no orthodoxy. There's there's no sense of morality that uh, can't be called into question, uh, including morality involving children, including morality involving 
sexuality, that every question uh, is there to be debated and there's no real uh, necessary uh, moral substance to society, that everything is, is an open question. And of course, this too winds up being a rather hypocritical claim on the part of progressives, because they do in fact have a morality that they want to impose on everyone else. It's just a progressive morality, which tends to be an inversion of Christianity. It's an inversion of traditional morality. And in fact, uh, winds up you know, affirming everything that traditional morality had been critical of, and it winds up being critical of everything that traditional morality had affirmed, including things like uh, churches, for example. Uh, you see right now that progressives are really, you know, chipping away at religious liberty, and they're using, you know, things like uh, non-discrimination law with respect to homosexuals and, you know, whether you have to bake them cakes and whatnot as a way to go after uh, Christians, uh, first of all, Christian businesses, but ultimately the churches themselves will be confronted with the question of, well, you know, why aren't you performing same-sex marriage ceremonies? Why aren't you ordaining women? Uh, any number of questions uh, will be uh, directed against, uh, you know, uh, churches by progressives. So the open society has always been a little bit fraudulent, but to the extent that uh, the, the progressives really meant what they, they claimed to mean, uh, they were still quite wrong, because Wilmore Kendall points out that, in fact, every society, every civilization, every kind of political community has to have some degree of public orthodoxy. It has to have certain truths upon which it is built. And if you start to, uh, you know, uh, pour contempt upon those truths, you're going to wind up destroying that civilization itself. And, you know, here in America, we had a number of truths, including, you know, a belief in, uh, you know, our, our Declaration of Independence, a belief in uh, the connection between the people themselves, uh, deliberating under God, which Kendall always points out, you know, Americans from the colonial period, from the Mayflower Compact, all the way through to the ratification of the Constitution, they believed that you needed to have a virtuous people deliberating underneath the transcendent. There was a higher law, that there was a creator above us uh, from whom we had to take our bearings. When you start to throw that out, you wind up with a society that, in fact, is just an interplay of power as opposed to having a real moral structure. That's what we're seeing right now, the interplay of power. Let's go to a recent example. The Supreme Court right now is hearing a case where a website design company did not want to design a website celebrating a uh, LGBTQAIA, whatever alphabet people event. And so they're going, it, this made it to the Supreme Court when Daniel, according to this book, the, uh, the homosexual uh, campaign or whatever they were wanting to design could have simply went somewhere else. But they're yeah, trying to change beliefs. But yeah, that's right. I, I think it's pretty significant that uh, a lot of the, you know, sort of big changes you've seen in American uh, culture uh, over the last uh, couple of decades here have been driven by the Supreme Court. Uh, sometimes they've been driven by either presidential rhetoric or by uh, presidential, um, you know, edicts, uh, you know, executive orders. Uh, they generally have not been driven by Congress, even though Congress occasionally does pass uh, some radical le legislation. Congress tends to be a lagging indicator. It tends to be something that follows on from the leadership, either of the Supreme Court or the presidency. And Wilmore Kendall basically makes a very powerful argument drawing upon the Federalist Papers, on the thought of James Madison, on the very constitutional tradition uh, of you know, the founding of our republic, to say that Congress really should be the place where people of various different views have to come together and settle their differences and try to legislate for the good of the whole country, and where they can't agree on something, you know, where they really do have values that are in going in different directions, then you have to leave it to the states. You have to leave it to local communities, leave it to the private sphere to conduct themselves, you know, according to their own uh, lights. You can't simply have, you know, this unitary authority in the presidency or in the Supreme Court go out there and say, here is what we're going to have the whole country do 
and everyone has to conform to it. And if they don't, we're going to, you know, crack down upon them with lawsuits and jail time and whatnot. Uh, you, really, it's through Congress that you can have the kind of ordered and structured liberty that uh, the American, you know, founding was designed to give us. And when you get away from that, when you instead try to concentrate power either in the court or in the presidency, you wind up with uh, really a big popular backlash because people feel as if they're not represented and they're being trod upon and having their liberties stolen. It's almost like the American Revolution itself, where Americans looked at the fact that George III was basically running them without the consent of their own uh, you know, colonial legislatures, and they said, this is tyranny. And tyranny is what we're battling right now today when it comes to that case we talked about and so many other things that Daniel has laid out. When, when we talk about the book, The Conservative Affirmation, we really appreciate you coming on the show, but what's one big, maybe surprising or key takeaway you want the viewers to get today? It's basically that the idea of populism and conservatism uh, being not only compatible, but really essential to one another is something that Wilmore Kendall already understood in the 1950s and the 1960s. He provides basically the philosophical blueprint for the kind of conservatism we need today. Now, that's fantastic. Everybody check it out. It's a great read, The Conservative Affirmation. We have the link on the mattbuffshow.com, the buffshow.com website. Daniel McCarthy, keep up the great work, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. All right, sounds good. We'll be back on the Matt Buff Show. You stay with us. Liam Fitzpatrick's Restaurant and Irish Pub in Lake Mary. Happy hours every day of the week and all day Sunday. $1 off drafts and house wines. $2 off well liquors. And Liam Fitzpatrick's has tons of special events. Tonight, $7.99 burger and fries. Tomorrow, live music. Liam Fitzpatrick's does catering and has a private room for your meetings, luncheons, and parties. Mention The Buff Show and get 10% off your order. Liam Fitzpatrick's Restaurant and Irish Pub in Lake Mary. LiamFitzpatrick's.com you heard about the simple math with a solar electric system earlier in the show. Not all homes qualify. An energy evaluation by a qualified professional to get the fully informed information is always recommended. If your home qualifies, solar is always a prudent financial move. All Solar Energy in Longwood has been educating homeowners, roofing companies, property management firms, and now radio hosts about solar for 22 years. We have experts to perform no cost, no obligation energy evaluations to see if your home qualifies and explain the simple math of solar. Call All Solar Energy tomorrow at 866-412-4218 or visit the website www.allsolarenergy.com. Let them know you heard about it from me, Matt Buff, on The Buff Show. Welcome back to the Matt Buff Show. Great to have you with us. This year, we're unveiling a brand new segment. We're very excited excited about the gift of music. You know, we have our Matt Buff Show Christmas book tour. Well, now we have our music tour as well, and we're going to kick this off tonight. We're very excited about that. Kate Boytek joins us on the Matt Buff Show, country music star. Great to have you. Wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. Now, you've been singing since you were five years old. I mean, that's <laughs> that's pretty young. And now you got your big hit out there, Hell or High Water. Talk about your journey. 
oh my gosh, it's been long. <laughs> I'm 32 now. So it definitely, you know, I've done this for a long time. Um, I did start early, you know, five years old. My mom put me in a local uh, talent show here in West Virginia, and that was pretty wonderful. And that just kind of kickstarted my love for music. I didn't really pursue it as a career until my early 20s, but um, throughout my teen years and things like that, I always sang in choir in school and did local charity events in my hometown and things like that. Um, but in my early 20s, I was like, okay, this is a bit, this feels a bit more than a hobby kind of love. So I really tried to pursue it uh, at that time and um, took about seven years off to because I have two little girls. So I'm a mom and I you know, wanted to make sure I was with them and at home and present. And now that they're older and after my divorce, I talked to my family. We sat down and decided this is what you know I really wanted to do and wanted to pursue this full time. So here I am, 32 and hitting the ground running. <laughs> Country music songs after a divorce are always better. I agree. I agree. Someone told me recently that I needed to, I've been writing a lot of sad songs and they said, girl, you need to find your happy. And I was like, this is country music. I'm allowed to be sad. <laughs> yeah. This ain't pop. You don't need to find your happy. It's country music. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now you're from Logan, West Virginia, some a little tiny town, right? And uh, there wasn't a lot of opportunities for, for that hometown. No, um, there really wasn't, you know, just because of our, our size, you know, and I, I think that music has been supported as much as it can be. There are a lot of people that try to bring live music and places to host live music and songwriters and things like that to the area, but there's just not a lot of us. So thankfully it's growing. It has grown substantially throughout the years and I've seen a lot more live music now than I did growing up. Um, so, you know, they're really trying to be a good support system. I recently teamed up with uh, Charleston, West Virginia uh, Convention and Visitors Bureau, and they've got behind me, you know, 100% to try to push my music out and help me in any way, which has been phenomenal. No, that's fantastic. And you've been, you've partnered with some great writers, people that have worked with Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, even Loretta Lynn. Oh man, that has been really something. You know, they're, it's always a new experience to write with, you know, anybody because they're bringing who they are, their stories, their ideas uh, into it. So people that have worked with people like that, those stories that they come into the room with, you know, that's, you can't buy that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. And you got some great events coming up too. the Christmas parade in Charleston. You got, um, you got two, two to three events within two days. That's great. So you like doing the Christmas shows too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Christmas is my favorite season. You know, I love the presents and the food. <laughs> but, you know, most importantly, I love getting to see my family and things like that. So, you know, it, it all works out. It's a well-rounded holiday season. So you get to go home occasionally. Yes. And, and rest and <laughs> decompress. Well, good deal. Now talk about Hell or High Water. What is this song about? So when we went in to write Hell or High Water, and I wrote this with Britton Cameron, um, who's a veteran songwriter in Nashville. He's absolutely wonderful. We really wanted to, my mom is uh, from the 80s generation. So she really raised me up listening to a lot of like your Bon Jovi and your Fleetwood Mac um, type artists, Aerosmith, all those. So when we went in, I said, yes, I want to keep my country foundation, but I'd also like to bring a little bit of my rock influence that I have into it. And that's basically the foundation of what Hell or High Water was born from. We just really wanted to take a Southern uh, feeling and vibe 
and attach that to an 80s rock show. <laughs> no, that sounds great. We can't wait to play it for everybody here coming up on the Matt Buff Show. And this is your first big hit, right? Yeah, this is my first single. This is the first single that we released since I've been signed under PCG in Nashville and Allen Media Strategies in Washington, D.C. Uh, we recorded four songs. So this is the first of the four to be released. Okay, and then you're going to make all this in one album. Yep, we're going to do like a little demo and put it out for everybody. So, But they'll be released individually as singles. Now, there's no music video yet for Hell or High Water. It's being worked on. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about the process for the music video, because we want to play that, too, down the road. It'll be here soon. <laughs> I'm actually super excited. Um, this is my first time ever working, you know, in videography like that, like cinematography and things. So um, I've never put out a music video before, except for a very small songwriters um, type video that was released several years ago to an acoustic track of mine. So full production. This is the first one ever. And. You know, we haven't dived in yet. We're just tossing out some ideas of what we would like to do. I definitely want to bring my Appalachian roots into the video, you know, as much as possible. And, you know, other than that, we're just going to rock with it. And, you know, I've got a great team around me. So I'm super excited to see, you know, what comes out of this. A lot of people are concerned that country music's getting a little too poppy. And then Hardy came out with uh, Wait in the Truck and blew all that up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely not a, a not a pop country girl um, in, in my style. Now, I appreciate, you know, all forms of music. And I think that it's thank goodness. I always say this. I'm so glad that we don't all sing the same note because then there'd be no harmony in the choir. So, you know, I look at that with these different type of genres. And although they may not be something that I personally put out, I do have an appreciation for for everywhere that country music's exploring and reaching to. Um, but with me, you'll always find my Appalachian roots at the center of anything I put out. Now, is this the same cowboy hat you wear in the profiles on it social is. media? <laughs> it is. <laughs> you can follow Kate Boytech, everybody. Facebook.com slash Kate Boytech. Also on Instagram. And her website is KateBoytechOfficial.com. You know you made it, Kate, when you get the official on, on there. <laughs> Because yeah. then people start copying you. Oh, no, I'm Kate Boytech. No, I'm Kate Boytech. No, I'm the official one. That's right. It, it, <laughs> I have that at the end. <laughs> no, that's good. And then um, your tour information is in there. And then you have a shop, too, where people get the gear. Yeah, we have merch. And I design all of my own. Um, so I actually owned a T-shirt company for a little while. And I design all of my images. So I design my merch graphics. Everything. Oh, wow. Yep, you know how much money you save by designing your own stuff? Yes. <laughs> when you got signed, how, how long ago did you get signed? Uh, it's been about seven months ago now. Oh, so brand new. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's new. It's an artist development contract and then a management deal. Talk about your feelings during that and how did you find out about it? Well, I freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> In a good way. <laughs> good. You know, it's just, it's something that I've always wanted. So when that moment comes, there's almost a sense of, is this real? Like, holy crap, you know, and then you're nervous. You want to make sure you're doing the right thing. Um, you know, I'm really fortunate that the team around me is just totally in alignment with my vision and everything's balanced and wonderful. We're very transparent in our communication. So there's not ever anything missed, you know, or overlooked and we're all on the same page. So it creates a really nice flow when it's like that. Um, 
they reached out to me and asked me to set up an interview. And after the first interview, uh, we did like a Zoom because we're all in different places, of course. Um, and it was PCG. We did from their Nashville-based office. And Bernard uh, actually offered, you know, to sign, give me a year artist development contract. And, you know, I knew who he was because of his relationship. He was instrumental in signing Jason Aldean to Broken Bow Records. So for that to come from him was like, you know, <laughs> holy crap, is this real? <laughs> that is. Yeah. And then followed by that was my management deal with Burke Allen. Um, and he signed Landau Eugene Murphy Jr. with season six, America's Got Talent. So, you know, all of that together at one time was quite a bit of excitement to take in. <laughs> Well, don't forget of us here. Forget about us here on the Matt Buff Show when you blow up and we send an interview request down the road. Absolutely, <laughs> I don't forget anyone. <laughs> no, that's great. What do you want to tell the little cow folks, the young boys and girls that maybe want to be a country music star too? Um, come hell or high water, they'll do anything, right? You have to. You have to have that mindset. You definitely. You know, my little girl, she's five. Uh, my youngest is five. And she sings all the time. And when she, you know, when she's in the car, she'll say things like, I want to be a singer like you when I grow up, mom. And I can't begin to explain to you the feeling that I have, you know, over that. That's just a beautiful thing. I just think it's very important that they always, you know, when if they start from a young age like me, stay true to yourself, stay true to who you are. You know, don't be influenced by the industry because I've seen it happen too many times, you know, and if you put out who you are and in your own authentic way, you'll never go wrong. So don't change just because you think you can't chase the fame, you know, chase it because it's who you are and that's how you feel connected with people. That so. is a great statement. That is exactly right. And then you got, you were putting out videos and doing what, just local shows. Yeah. Yeah. So I started just doing local talent shows and charity events anywhere that would let me get on stage. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of karaoke bars I've went into and then later went back to those same places as their entertainment for the evening when they weren't doing karaoke. Nice. You know, so really it's just about, you know, I know people say make contacts, make contacts, make friends, make friends with these people. You know, there, there's good people out there. They just want to bring live music to their place. Don't go into it thinking, you know, well, I need this contact. Just look at it as you're making new friends. And then those people will continually keep you booked and spread the word and you know that's what it's all about so that's what my mindset going into every opportunity is no that is great and 2023 is going to be a big year for you it is we've got some things lined up that haven't been announced yet so make sure you stay tuned you know i'm really excited to put out some new music we have a new single dropping after the first of the year it's my favorite song um that that we're going to be putting out i love them all but this one just is one of those that is like me in lyrics. <laughs> it's an actual event, a chronological order of events that happened in my life uh, put to a melody. What's this one called? Anywhere. Okay. Yep, it's called Anywhere. We name drop West Virginia. <laughs> 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 no, that's great. Anywhere. So we'll look forward to that one too. When that comes out, we'll get with uh, the guys at Allen and uh, get you back on the show and play that one. Oh, right okay. now we're going to play your first big single, hey. Hell or High Water, as we take out the Buff Show tonight. 
But Kate, last word to you. What do you want people to get out of this song? I want you to feel like a rock star, like a country music rock star. You know, that's how I felt when I wrote it. We were pumped in the studio. My producer was doing this the whole time, you know. <laughs> so just because we're from the country don't mean we can't rock out. And that's what this song's supposed to be. So let's All right. pull your windows down and, and have fun with it. Yeah, let everybody hear it. <laughs> that's right. Roll the windows down and blast this, everyone. And we'll put the link to the MP3s and everything on the buffshow.com slash Kate Boytech and on our Christmas music page. But Jade, uh, thank you so much for joining us. This is going to be awesome, everyone. And the website, go ahead and give the website and how they can contact you as we go out to the song here. Absolutely. My website's kateboytechofficial.com and all my handles are at Kate Boytech. And for those of you that need the spelling of that, because it's a weird last name, (laughs) B-O-Y-T-E-K. There you go. Just like it sounds. Kate Boytek on the Matt Buff Show. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And Kate, God bless you and good luck here in the future. Thank you so much. Can't wait to come back. Oh, we can't wait to have you back either with the new song anywhere because it's personal. That's right. (laughs) All right. Here you go, everybody. Hell or high water. We'll see you next time on the Matt Buff Show. Stay smart. As the sun goes black, the sky will be torn. No fury like a woman scorned. Mama always said, never let another woman take what is yours. Come hell, water. Rain's gonna fall and the flames gonna burn on the ain't true and the Holy Ghost heard him say I do